Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19 this morning. Let's pray briefly for the preaching of God's Word this morning. Father, we just saying that we should behold our God who's seated on the throne, that none can compare, that we've come to adore you. Father, this is the time that we have come to do such. So, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wonderful things in your word. And Father, we pray that your gospel come this morning, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our focus this morning in Philippians chapter 2, as we look at verses 19 through 30, is this. That we as believers should have a shift from the interest of self to the interest of Christ. Who cared for the souls of men. Who sought the will of the Father. And who served for the furtherance of the gospel. As believers, we should have a shift from the interest of self to the interest of Christ. Who cared for the souls of men, who sought the will of the Father, and who served for the furtherance of the gospel. Look with me in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned about your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. My brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly. So that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. May God add 
blessing to the reading of His Word. I want us to see this morning that Paul was aiming, very much so in this letter to the Philippians, at changing their heart. And even though Paul loved them very much, as we've seen evidence of, as we've worked our way through the letter, even though Paul loved them wholeheartedly, he believed that they were true believers, but they were in need of spiritual growth, as we all are. We see Paul's confident prayer for the sanctification of the saints in Philippi in chapter 1, verse 6, when he says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He desired and confidently prayed that they would be sanctified. The preceding text to the one that we'll look at this morning, the one that we looked at last week, was entirely aimed at the sanctification of the Philippian saints. One of the primary areas in need of growth was their humility or selflessness. This is evident in Paul's letter, especially in chapter 2 of this book. Listen again at the beginning of chapter 2 to Paul, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Both verses 3 and 4 of chapter 2 are stated negatively. So to say them positively would be to say this. Do all things from selflessness. Or have others' interests in mind above your own. With humility of of mind, regard others as more important than yourselves. The portion that I want to draw special attention to this morning in verse 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also to the interests of others is the fact that Christ, or let me say it like this, that Paul was saying to the Philippians that they should have a stronger interest in others than they should themselves. And it's upon this verse that Paul builds his plea for sanctification in the area of selflessness or humility among the Philippians in today's text. As always, Paul points to his own life as the identifiable marks of such selflessness are exemplified before the Philippian church. Paul not only commands the church in Philippi to be selfless, but also emulates such selflessness by showing his interest and concern for them. If he's going to ask them to be interested in others, then Paul himself must show that he is demonstrating interest in them more so than himself. And I think he does a fine job of that. Listen to the beginning of today's text as we lay the foundation for this morning's sermon. Beginning in verse 19, Paul says, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also, listen to what he says, may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned about your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. There can be no doubt that Paul is not looking out for his own interests, but showing interest in the saints in Philippi. But Paul goes even further still in the text today. He not only only emulates this selflessness himself, 
but in his sharing about Timothy and Epaphroditus in this text, he's going to show that they also set the example of selflessness to the church in Philippi. There's two more godly examples that Paul gives to the church in Philippi concerning selflessness. Let's look at Paul and the other two missionaries that are mentioned in today's text to see these godly examples of selflessness. So the first thing that we want to do this morning is establish the example that these three men set in the matter of selflessness. First, let's be reminded briefly how Paul demonstrated his selflessness to the Philippians. I mean, it's all over the book. We can't miss it, but let's just draw out one verse from last week that hammers it home and then try to recall other things that Paul has communicated in the text. Verse 17 from last week, Paul says, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, he says, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Does being poured out as a drink offering and sharing your joy with others sound like a man living selfishly? Obviously not. As Paul begins to explain in today's text, his hope and plan was to come see the Philippians. He's showing his great love and concern for them. And if we would just push through the text today, and we will eventually, but if we just kind of look ahead briefly, we'll see several phrases that give evidence that Paul is very much interested in the spiritual well-being of the saints in Philippi. We see in verse 19 that he wants to learn of their condition. That demonstrates care. And in verse 24, Paul communicates that he is eager to come to the Philippians. He's eager to see them, to be with them, to share joy with them. But knowing that that's not happening immediately, Paul says that he wants to send Epaphroditus to relieve his concern for them. All these revolve around Paul's interest in the church in Philippi. And in the midst of the sermon text this morning, Paul gives us two more glowing examples of men who lived selflessly. So the second thing that we want to do this morning is consider Timothy as an example of selflessness. We've already seen a glimpse of the selflessness of Paul. Now we want to see selfless Timothy. But I hope in the Lord Jesus, Paul says, to send Timothy to you shortly. So that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of Timothy's proven worth. That he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately. As soon as I see how things go with me. What can we glean from the life of Timothy Revealed in these verses that would help us to see the selflessness of Timothy. Like Paul, Timothy, first of all, was willing to be sent wherever for the sake of the gospel. Listen again to the text. Paul says, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Being willing to be sent is evidence of selflessness. It's a major theme running through these verses in the text today. Five times between verses 19 and 28, Paul mentions the word sin. 
But I hope to send Timothy to you shortly. I hope to send him immediately. Again in verse 23. Verse 24. I trust in the Lord that I will be coming shortly. Sending himself. And I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And then he says again in verse 28. I have sent him all the more eagerly. This willingness was true of all three examples of selfless men in the text. Paul was willing to go. He wanted to send Timothy and he was eager to send Epaphroditus. We also see in Timothy's going that Paul knew he would learn of the condition of the saints in Philippi. For I have, listen to what Paul says about Timothy. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned about your welfare. Now, let's not forget a very important matter that we'll expound on some more later. When Paul makes a statement like this, I have no one else of kindred spirit other than Timothy who will genuinely be concerned about your welfare. Paul has journeyed with several other missionaries, godly men, and yet he's bestowing this statement upon Timothy who will genuinely be concerned about your welfare. Let's also not forget that Timothy, excuse me, that Paul as he writes this letter, is imprisoned in Rome. There is a church in Rome at this point. And so among all the believers in Rome, Paul says this is only true of Timothy. Because Paul knew Timothy shared the kindred spirit of caring for the souls of men like he did, he knew that he would learn of the spiritual condition of the Philippian believers if he could only send Timothy to them. If Timothy could just get to the church in Philippi, Paul would feel well about knowing the spiritual state of the church. And he says this about Timothy in verse 22. This is a loaded verse. But you know of his proven worth, speaking of Timothy, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Here Paul points out Timothy's value in the spread of the gospel. He was of such worth to Paul Because he selflessly served Paul like a son. Now I want you to notice something that we find to be true in Scripture. It's one thing to be a servant of Christ. And Paul classifies himself as much in the very first verse of this this book. But it's a completely other thing to be a son of the king. A servant will serve his master in one way. A son will serve his father in a completely other. And so as we think about Timothy serving, we need to see it in the context that it's written, that he serves like a child serving his father. Let's also not miss the implications that fall on that verse. And we'll look at it a little bit further. A child serving his father carries with it great implications. Ones that would remind us maybe of God the Son and God the Father. So we see just a snapshot of Timothy's selflessness. Now let's look at Epaphroditus, the final missionary that we see spoken of in the text. Verse 25 says this, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death. 
But God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent Epaphroditus all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Epaphroditus, like Timothy and Paul, was faithful with the gospel. He is a trusted companion of Paul in the midst of suffering. And he was the Philippians representative to Paul. We see Epaphroditus exemplifying selflessness with his very life. Verse 29 says, receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. Why? Why hold men like him in high regard? Because he came close to death for the work of Christ. Now I want you to see the selflessness of Epaphroditus. That he was willing, even with death at his doorstep, to serve for the sake of the gospel. He came close to death for the work of Christ. He was willing for the work of Christ to be continued on to put his own life on the line. Risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. There was a need for Paul. And the church in Philippi saw that need. They were eager for the opportunity, as we'll find out later in chapter 4. And when they see the opportunity to serve Paul, they send Epaphroditus with a gift to come alongside Paul. But it costs Epaphroditus almost his life. Epaphroditus did not spare himself to serve Christ, but rather felt that even if he should come close to death, at least for a time, in order to not be deficient in his duty to serve Paul. What can we learn from all this self-denial that we see in Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus? Well, let's ask ourselves some questions this morning. Do you dread the thought of sacrificing your present comforts for the sake of Christ? Are there comforts in this life that make you unwilling to go the distance in your service to God? Has the Lord ever stirred in your heart to be one that we prayed for earlier that would take the gospel to the ends of the earth? To the Harassi people of Oman. Or the Quechua people of Ecuador. Or the Fulani people of Nigeria. Or the unconverted atheistic Germans. Or those who have been saturated with the religion of Hindu in India. Have you ever felt a small stirring in your heart to go? And in that stirring, what has kept you from going? If God has sovereignly ordained that you stay here and we're going to hear a sermon preached in that manner next week, then praise be to God. But if it's the comforts of this world that have kept you from stepping outside of your comfort area, 
to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? Then I would say that you do not demonstrate the same selflessness that we see in Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. It's ungodly and it's unbiblical. And yet, we find it to be true of us from time to time. Instead of counting all things lost for the sake of Christ, we give long pause before we will part with anything. Are we not settling for a cheap Christianity when we refuse to live such selfless lives as these men? We are. So why show these three men as examples of selfless men who served the living God? Why draw attention to that this morning? Because I agree with Thomas Brooke who said, Example is the most powerful rhetoric. We need to see other people. We need to see other men and women who are selfless, who are willing to go. More than we need to hear from it from the pulpit. And John MacArthur said this, the single greatest tool of spiritual leadership is the power of an exemplary life. We need to see saints who are selfless so that we'll follow. Is your life an example of selflessness to others? Before you answer, let me ask maybe some more probing questions. Does your family see your selflessness at home? Does your family see your selflessness at home? Do your co-workers see selflessness in the workplace? Do your brothers and sisters see your selflessness? You hear me this morning, children? Do your brothers and sisters see your selflessness or do you act selfishly around them? Without a doubt, Paul is drawing our attention to see the examples of these selfless men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. However, the primary goal of our interest is not other people, but Christ himself. Though taking interest in others above self is a very healthy sign of spiritual maturity, the real target of our true interest should be Christ himself. I want to show you now from God's word how we as believers can continue to live selfish lives even after conversion. And I realize that when I speak of Living selfishly, there is a, a godly way to live selfishly. If we're selfishly going after all of Christ, getting for ourselves as much of Christ as we possibly can, in that sense, it's a healthy thing. But the manner in which I speak to this morning is negative. So let's look at our focal verse this morning, the memory verse for this week. Philippians 2, 21. It says, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. So we must realize that someone is seeking after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus in the text. But who? Who are the they in the text? 
The they in the text this morning are selfish saints. Now, the statement made in verse 21 is clearly true of unbelievers. That, that would be a true statement, right? Of unbelievers. Unbelievers seek after their own interests, right? To the greatest degree possible, fallen man is completely separated from God. Their mind is not set on the things above, but on the things of earth. The world seeks its own all the time. They have no regular or right thought of God. They are godless in all respects, and therefore they have no desire or even the ability to seek the things of God. There is exclusion in their life to everything regarding Christ and His work on the cross. But I don't believe that the unbelievers are the they that Paul refers to in the text. Those being referred to in the text are the Christians in Rome who have sat idly by while the Philippian church sends Epaphroditus with supplies from over 600 miles away to care for Paul. Do, do you catch the, the, the problem that exists here? Here's Paul imprisoned in Rome. And he has a need that must be met so that he can continue in ministry. And Epaphroditus carries with him whatever the supplies are that he refers to in chapter 4. We don't know. But he carries with him some supply to Paul. Well, the journey from Philippi to Rome is over 600 miles. So for over 600 miles, Epaphroditus carries this gift that Paul receives. And yet, in the city that Paul is imprisoned is a church who is not meeting his need. There's a problem there. And the problem is, there are these believers in Rome who have not met the need. And when Paul says they look out for their own interests or seek after their own interests, the they that Paul is referring to is the believers in Rome. Now, let me make a small um, statement here to help maybe our thinking if you're drawing back to chapter 1. Remember back in chapter 1, Paul, um, excuse me, he mentions that he's underneath the, the, um, the guard of the Praetorian. He's, uh, he's underneath Caesar's guard, the Praetorian guard. And we know that at the end of the book in chapter 4, he sends blessings to the Philippians from Caesar's household. So there were converted members in Caesar's household. Well, those in Caesar's household who had him in prison couldn't demonstrate kindness to Paul without there being some kind of backlash. And so those who Paul needed to show him kindness were those in the church in Rome outside of those in Caesar's household. Just a clarifying remark. So those being referred to in the text are the Christians in Rome. They were all too timid and too selfish to meet his need. They were too timid and too selfish to carry news of Paul or to go to be an encouragement to the Philippian saints. So as Paul surveys his options of those who he could send to Rome, excuse me, to Philippi from Rome, he sees only one viable option. Timothy. Now, Epaphroditus would be an option, but he's only sending Epaphroditus back to where he belongs. Epaphroditus was a believer from Philippi. If there was going to be one who would go to serve 
the church in Philippi, and to return with news to him, it would have to be Timothy. So for one reason or another, all the believers in Rome all showed some form of selfishness to such a degree that Paul did not feel comfortable sending one of them in Timothy's place. As much as Paul desired for Timothy to stay with him for encouragement and fellowship, remember, Timothy is of kindred spirit with Paul. There was such camaraderie and oneness that Paul desired for Timothy to stay, but he saw no other option than to send Timothy. He saw the need for the care of the souls in Philippi. In all of his current options, he only trusted Timothy with such matters. This verse illustrates for us the sober possibility that we can be of little value to the work of Christ as Christians when we live selfish lives. Listen to me, believers, brothers and sisters at Grace Church. I'm so very thankful that I'm running this race with you. But I want to give you a sober warning and say that simply because you're a member of Grace Church does not exclude you from the capability of living very selfishly. Selfish Christians do exist. Don't be one of them. Don't be one of them. Well, how do we do that? How do we live selfless lives like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus? How do we keep ourselves from being selfish saints like those that Paul refers to in the church in Rome? For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. If we are to not be that person, we must seek the interest of Christ. As much as Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus exemplified a selfless attitude, they are only glimmering lights in comparison to the beaming brightness of Christ's selflessness. As much as these things written in the text are true of Paul because he wrote them, they are much more true of Christ who inspired Paul to write these things. So as we look at the text together, let's see Christ as supreme in selflessness in all that Paul communicates to us. So let's look at the text again together. Not focusing on Paul or Timothy or Epaphroditus, but seeing Christ as our selfless example. And we want to we see the selflessness of Christ in three specific ways. The first is this. I want you to see Christ this morning in the text as the most selfless being who ever cared for the souls of men. Paul's concern was the condition of the saints in Philippi. Sending Timothy, who would genuinely be concerned for their welfare, was Paul's solution. But who, more than Christ, has demonstrated great care for the saints? You want proof that Christ cares for the souls of men? Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, says this about Jesus. Seeing the people... He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Christ has incomparable compassion for the souls of men. He is the good shepherd. 
John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says of himself. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. If we continued in John chapter 10, just a few verses later, 14 and 15, he says, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus demonstrated over and over and over in his ministry how to care for the souls of men. He cared deeply for the souls of men. This is the gospel that Jesus would lay down his life is the greatest example of soul care that one could ever know. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. That is the single greatest action of soul care that one could ever know. Father, we thank you for Christ and his care for us. Help us to be like Christ in our caring for the souls of men. The second thing that I want us to see this morning. That demonstrates the selflessness of Christ is that Christ sought the will of the Father. Listen to what Paul says again in verse 21. It's the verse verse that we've, we've hung around in the whole time this morning. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Well, the way that we don't seek our own interests is to seek the interest of Christ. Christ himself sought the interest of Christ. Does that sound odd to you? Who more than Christ has sought the interest of God? Christ is God, right? So for Christ to seek the interest of God means he's seeking his own interests. Just as we are to seek the interest of Christ, so Christ sought the interest of his father in heaven. John 5, 30, Jesus says of himself, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And we see Christ seeking the will of the Father up until the point of death. Matthew 26, 39. And Jesus went a little beyond the other disciples, Peter, James, and John, and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible... Let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus himself tells us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things that you're concerned with will be added to you. No one has ever sought the will of God like God. No one has ever sought the will of God like Jesus Christ sought the will of God. No one has ever sought the interest of God the way that Jesus sought the interest of God. Jesus was fully submissive to the Father and could be found many times in Scripture seeking the Father's face in prayer in order to submit to His will. We read in our family Devo just last night that two times Christ was pleading with the disciples to go to a secluded place so that they could be with Him. Father, we thank you for Christ and his seeking after you. Help us to be like Christ and seek after your interests. 
But I want us to see the third thing. That shows the selflessness of Christ in the text today. Christ served for the furtherance of the gospel. But you know of his proven worth, Paul says of Timothy, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. The language that Paul uses here is very compelling. Listen again to how Timothy served Paul. Like a child serving his father. Like a child serving his father. You mean like God the Son served God the Father. Who more than Christ has served for the furtherance of the gospel than Jesus? Nobody. Did not Christ serve his father like a child? Did we not just see this a couple of weeks ago? Philippians chapter 2. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know how Christ served the father? Who? About Christ. Who, although he existed in the form of man, excuse me, in, sorry, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There is no gospel to further if Christ doesn't serve his father by condescending from heaven to earth, to be born of a virgin, becoming a man, living a life without sin. Perfect, yet stricken by God and reviled by men. He was put on trial, beaten, mocked, ridiculed, and crucified by the very men for whom he had come. All of us, our sin, nailed him to the cursed tree. Him who knew no sin became sin. His blood was shed. Our sins were paid as he died, killing our sin and setting us free. He gave us victory over sin and death when he rose from the grave three days later. So we too can be raised to walk in newness of life. No longer slaves to sin, but counted as righteous in the sight of God. All because the person and work of Jesus Christ. There is no gospel to be furthered, if Christ himself was not sent, willing to be sent by the Father and serve for the furtherance of the gospel. Has anyone ever served for the furtherance of the gospel more than this? Believe this gospel today. Father, we thank you for Christ. And his serving for the furtherance of the gospel. Help us to be like Christ and serve for the furtherance of the gospel too. If Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus were willing to be sent for the sake of the gospel, how much more was Christ's willingness to be sent to earth for the sake of the gospel? You think Paul is a grand example of a missionary? It's nothing compared to Christ. What Paul had to leave behind? Paled in comparison to what Christ left behind to come to this earth for the furtherance of the gospel. Let's finish the text this morning. Let's look specifically at 29 and 30 as we conclude our sermon this morning. Paul says this in Philippians 2, 29 and 30. 
Speaking of Epaphroditus, he says, Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Now let me make a, a, a clarifying remark and then we'll, we'll, we'll look at what our aim is. The Philippians weren't deficient in serving Paul. So when it says what was deficient in your service to me, Paul wasn't saying you've, you've failed or you're deficient in your service. We'll find out later as we look into chapter 4 that the Philippians were very eager to serve Paul. They were waiting for the right opportunity. But Paul was in need. And all Paul's communicating to him here at the end of chapter 2 is that there was a need and it wasn't filled until Epaphroditus arrived with the gift. And so there was a deficiency in his ministry that needed to be filled. But we know that the Philippians graciously, joyously filled that. So that we don't misinterpret or misread verse 30. But here's what I want to see in the final two verses. Our, 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 our thoughts and our aim are still directly upon Christ. Yes, Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus set Great examples of selflessness, but not in comparison to Christ. Nobody has ever cared for the souls of men the way Christ did. Nobody has ever sought the interest of God the way Christ has. And nobody has served for the furtherance of the gospel like Christ has. And Christ continues to jump off the page as we continue in verses 29 and 30. Who more than Christ should be received with all joy? Paul's asking the church in Philippi when their brother Epaphroditus returns... He says, receive him with all joy. But who more than Christ should be received with all joy? Listen to the next phrase. And hold men like Epaphroditus in high regard. Who should be held with such high regard? If not Christ. Is that not what we just saw in Philippians chapter 2 verse 9? What's it say? For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on Christ the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. That's pretty high regard of those who are on in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the kind of regard that Christ is worthy of. Listen to what it says about Epaphroditus moving into verse 30. Because Epaphroditus came close to death for the work of Christ. Close to death? Christ did die. Epaphroditus is worthy of high regard. You should receive him with joy because he came close to death. Christ did die. Let's continue the verse. Risking his life. To complete what was deficient in your service to me. Christ didn't risk his life. He gave his life. To complete what was deficient in the law. And so though Paul was lacking something in his ministry. There was no ministry until Christ came and completed what the law could not. Christ didn't risk his life. He gave his life to complete what was deficient. So let me say to us. One more time this morning, as I finish this morning. Let's be selfless saints. And let's imitate 
not just Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, but more importantly, let's imitate Christ by caring for the souls of men. Listen to me. It's not only your pastor's responsibility to care for you. It is our great responsibility, one that I pray will take more serious each day. But it's also upon you, believers, as Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi, to be caring for the souls of one another. Care for the souls of men. Secondly, seek the interests of Christ. Not our own interests, but those of Christ Jesus. Let's be seeking the interest of Christ. And let's be like Christ in the manner in which he served for the presence of the gospel. Like Epaphroditus. Willing to come to the point of death. Or like Christ himself, willing to die for the sake of the gospel. Christ has served us in this manner. Let's imitate him and serve the Father. See Christ, serve the Father, and worship him. Let's pray together. Father, we ask this morning that what we see in this very practical text this morning, that we would... We would see Christ and imitate him. Father, don't let us be selfish saints, but let us live selflessly. Caring for the souls of the men, seeking the interest of God, our father. And serving for the furtherance of the gospel. We ask these things, Father, in your name and for your glory.